this is my model, this is working for me, and I'm gonna keep running with it as long as it continues to work. To target your marketing efforts for the most returns, you need to understand your positioning. We're gonna get it right, we're gonna get it right the first time. If something messes up, you're just gonna roll with it because the only person that knows that you messed up with exactly what you were going to say is you. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. In markets where big-name firms are spending top dollar to saturate traditional media, you can still capture a large audience. With social media, you can reach massive amounts of people at a fraction of the cost. William Frankie, managing partner at Frankie Law, has done just that. His Tampa-based firm is in competition with some of the largest names in personal injury. Instead of trying to outspend them, he invests in channels that work for his firm. He has found success by reaching thousands of potential clients through social media. Today, William explains how to understand your firm's positioning and see greater returns on social media marketing. He dives into boosting engagement and how to handle the endless stream of comments. Whatever your marketing budget is, William offers insights on how to ramp up your social game. Here's William Frankie, managing partner at Frankie Law, on how he got into law. I played college baseball and I was going to go coach college baseball and I ended up having Tommy John, which is um, elbow surgery. Ended my season, ended up tearing it again while I was rehabbing. So more or less ended my career. I very quickly added an additional major during my senior year, graduated with two majors, and then went into law enforcement. And it was while well, I was within law enforcement, I said, hey, I should have a backup. I should, I should get an upper level degree because if something ever happens, I have something to fall back on. Um, and that's actually how I ended up with the law degree was I, I actually worked midnights and went to law classes during the day in the mornings, actually, and then would sleep a little bit after that. But I was chasing a guy Thanksgiving morning in 2009. I stepped in a storm drain, tore my hip up, and uh, ended up having some pretty major hip surgery. I was almost done with law school at the time. And you know, my plan was originally, hey, I'm going to stay at the sheriff's office, and I'm going to work my way through the different departments and go work in general counsel's office and do all that. And after I'd gotten hurt, and, and I was trying to come back and a buddy of mine's wife said, hey, we have an opening in our corporate general counsel. So I interviewed for it. I was like, hey, this is, this is the right move at the right time. So I didn't have this you know, extreme like lifelong dream of I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm the first lawyer in my family. My little brother, who's 10 years younger than me, followed in my footsteps. I, I say little. I mean, he's 30 years old now. Um, <laughs> followed in my footsteps and you know, he's a lawyer also. We're the only two lawyers in the whole family. Wow. When you were going to law school, were you looking at the criminal defense side? Was that kind of like the original goal? Because now I know with your firm now, you specialize in PI. Was that where you're leaning towards? And, and then you had this experience? Like, tell me about that. My goal was actually stay at the sheriff's office. I was like, hey, you had to do 25 years at the time. I could retire at 48. So the sheriff's offices here are large enough that at least the two that I worked at had their own lawyers that were employed by the office itself. Kind of that's where I envisioned once I got kind of old enough and past the, I'm going to go chase people and I'm going to go to all the different specialty departments within the agency. That was kind of the plan. You know, as I thought about criminal, just partially in the sense of 
I interviewed with the state attorney's office. I was like, well, this would be a good fit, pretty natural fit to go from law enforcement to the state attorney's office. And then I, I interviewed, did all everything, and then I got what they were going to pay me. Quite frankly, I said I can make more working at the sheriff's office, plus just a little bit of off-duty extra work than I was would have made at the state attorney's office. And oh, by the way, I have to pay back student loans. So you know, I couldn't make those numbers work. I didn't like working in the general counsel's office. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It's just a different type of life, especially transitioning from working in law enforcement and being on the go and out and about to you're in a cubicle every day. That's it. That is your life. Eight to five. There you go. And so I sent a bunch of emails out to a bunch of different places and one place responded and they happened to be a personal injury firm. We actually did a little bit of uh, sports work together, professional sports representation together, the uh, the owner and I. That's really kind of how we got here today. I appreciate the hustle. I mean, not only what it takes to be a competitive collegiate baseball player and having those setbacks and then going to night school and you're, you're tired, you work all day and you're like, Hey, I'm also going to get my law degree and let me put myself through that. And, and it, and it worked out. You're right. You hit that pothole and here, here we go. And you decided to open your practice around 2017. When did you know it was time that you should start your own practice and kind of what was the plan to, to kick this off and get, get it going? I had met a couple of guys um, at one of the gyms that I had gone to at the time they did private equity real estate work. They did um, big dollar transactions and they needed somebody to review contracts. Working in general counsel's office and from doing work in professional sports, I knew how to review contracts and negotiate contracts. So I would do a little bit of billable hour work with them, review their contracts. One of the guys who was a partner with them, there was, there was three guys. One of them played professional football and he was getting towards the end of his career. and He was ready to retire. They took me to lunch one day and they said, hey, we want to start a title company because we're going to be doing all these real estate transactions. I said, you can start a law firm. We don't care. We do what you do what you want, but the title company and they ran through all the numbers and everything else. And I told them, no, I was making more money than I could imagine. Even working for somebody at a firm, I was just like, I get guaranteed money. I'm making really good money. It's great. Why would I give this up? And then I started looking at the numbers that they were talking about and what it would look like to start my own business and, and go from there. And I made it from the lunch table where I told them, no, absolutely not. I'm comfortable. I get a good paycheck. My son, I think, was six months old. And by the time I got up to the parking lot, sat down in my car, and I started thinking through the numbers. And then called them right back and go, actually, you know, I thought about the numbers. I'm in. Started that. And at the same time, started the personal injury firm, which I actually had planned on transitioning a little bit out of personal injury. I was a little bit burnt out at the time from personal injury and was like, hey, let's do the business side and let's do contract stuff. I kept getting personal injury clients and I kept coming back to it. And, and it was just kind of this realization of why am I going to try my make myself something that I'm not when I'm really good and I put a lot of time and learning into the personal injury side. I've tried cases. I've done all these different things. Why try to reinvent myself? And, and the law firm took off and the title company kind of stayed stagnant, grew a little bit. And I ended up long story short, buying them out and then selling the title company uh, to focus solely on the personal injury. That's been, that's been two years now, at least that I, since I sold that. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, a lot of people are like, 
trying to discover the destination or where you're going to end up and, and where the focus should be. And a lot of times these mentors and coaches, they, they tell you this in, in retrospect, but you need to have these experiences before you choose your niche and your specialization. Because all of those experiences brought to where you, where you are today, and now you have this passion, you're re-energized, you have the focus. One of the things I was looking at your website, it says, I read this review, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of paraphrase it just a bit. It said, I chose Frankie Law because they were local, had great reviews, and weren't one of the big firms I see on TV. I contacted the office on a Saturday morning, and after hearing the details of my case over the phone, an investigator was at my house within 45 minutes. And that was a, you know, a Saturday morning. So, yeah. you know, first, you've kind of took a stance against the TV advertisers. So tell me about your positioning and, and, and how you think of positioning in terms of your brand. I'll start with actually, that was probably me who took that phone call. I take all the after hours calls. You know, obviously during the day, it's, it's a little different because we have full staff. So it's not like it's, not like it's just me in a, you know, better call Saul office <laughs> and the back guy in a nail salon, right? But TV is interesting, right? I've tried a significant amount of TV and gotten burned every single time. It, it's Morgan does a great job. Morgan and Morgan, like the, and I don't, you know, they're everywhere. So just about, Every anybody who's listening has probably at least heard of them, right? They spend so much money, and my initial thought was, well, if I do it a little bit differently, I can spend significantly less and go about it. So I, I try. I've tried TV several times. I tried uh, OTT, the over the top, the uh, the basically TV commercials for streaming, and spend a lot of money on that, and and saw you know saw a little bit of results with that, but. We have probably five or six really large law firms, including Morgan & Morgan in Tampa. Unless you're going to outspend them, TV makes no sense at all. So where I've taken the branding and positioning, I'd say over the last year and a half, is away from completely away from TV. I won't do TV again. OTT, maybe in the future. But to me, it's the social media. It's the website presence. It's all of those pieces that reside on being in somebody's phone. Right, they're not necessarily that computers anymore, but they're on their phones or on their iPads. I want to be everywhere where they are because this is my model. This is working for me, and I'm going to keep running with it as long as it continues to work. And, and I'll be the social media guy. And you got to have thick skin, right? I mean, there's no one commenting back on TV commercials, right? It doesn't matter how much of a scumbag you actually are on TV, and I don't mean that to anybody that's on there. But the comments that I see on my social media. I mean, half the people out there think I'm the biggest scumbag and I've never spent two seconds talking to me. Let, let, let's dig into all of this. You said so much there. You know, I've heard Glenn Lerner say this. I've had, heard James Farron say this. They all say, hey, you got to saturate the market for TV. And if you're not one of the top three spenders in TV, just don't do it. So you're, you're on that boat. I've had a couple others say, oh, you can get a little strategic, but, but you're, you're kind of on the, hey, you got to you got to really saturate uh, the market to make TV work if someone's considering that. The last venture that I did was this lead gen. I spent, I think, 60 grand over a two-month period for spots that ran, I think, three or four days a week in a really condensed time frame and got one phone call, right? And, and it was produced by the TV station following the model that the consultants had worked for the other places. You know, so even taking it on that level and essentially kind of taking the equivalent spending and what, what we did was we looked and said, okay, here's not we not we as in me, but the, the TV station. This is where, hey, these spots cost more, 
but there's not a lot of competition. And it gets into, I guess, a little bit of the nitty gritty of how the big firms buy their media. Because, you know, a lot of times they want to sell you the uh, the court shows, for example. I don't know if you ever walked into a doctor's office that has the court shows on. Well, there's seven PI attorneys with commercials back to back. How are you going to separate who's who, right? It, the only one that's going to, you know, out, out, outpace that noise level is the highest spender. Right. Unless you are going to be everywhere. And, and I think, honestly, today, it may be more than just who's going to spend more. If you're going to go that route, right? I think it's more than who's going to spend the most in TV. It's who's going to spend the most in TV, but who's also then going to spend the most in billboards. Who's also then going to spend the most in radio. And if you hit those three, yeah, sure. I mean, that's how Morgan and Morgan get, I would assume, a a vast majority of their cases. But I mean, you can't throw a stone and not hit a billboard or hear a radio commercial or TV commercial. To be memorable in any market, you need saturation and repetition. Over-the-top or OTT ads live on streaming platforms like Hulu or Netflix, but be careful because those CPMs can really add up. But repetition can be challenging because the environment is so fractured. This means that the user's attention is split among multiple platforms, which can dilute your messaging. William explains his experience with OTT ads. Uh, a local TV station approached me and said, hey, you know, um, they wanted to come in and talk. They were actually the ones who got me with the consultant. They came in, they pitched it. Look, I liked it. I, I really did. And, and from a branding perspective, do I think that it may have made some impact? Yeah, I do. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, if it's not actually producing cases, you know, I look at it and evaluate and go, does it really need to stay? You know, when you're talking about spending eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a month, which, you know, in the big scheme of advertising, isn't necessarily a lot, but you start getting more than that. And I mean, you get more than that, you got to bring in more than a million dollars you know, every single year just to justify that spend, which means you're bringing in $100,000 every single month. And, and it just becomes this kind of give and take of where do we want to be? So do I like OTT? Yeah. And, and it essentially fits within you know, my model and thought process of I want to live everywhere that is online. For me, it just wasn't the right place, wasn't the right time because I'd rather take those dollars and put them into a more direct with, you know, with Instagram and Facebook and lower level TikToks, you know, just a little bit with them. YouTube, I do pay-per-click. I run my own pay-per-click and I run it just on the law father. So if anybody puts in the law father anywhere, we're coming up with a pay-per-click ad. Yeah, I think that's super smart. I mean, you got to protect your brand. You got to protect your taglines and your identity. You're crushing on social media, right? You got over 100,000 followers on Instagram. You got over 30,000 on TikTok. You got to have a very engaged audience. Now, what you said is totally true. I've seen it myself, right? It doesn't matter how nice you are, how valuable the content is. You, you're going to have your trolls and your haters and, and all of that. So let's start with like Instagram. Let's just focus on that channel. Uh, I know that kind of there's, there's crossovers each. How do you grow a following? What, what's kind of just the overall strategy and your mindset when it comes to being successful on that platform? Probably a little bit of luck to begin with because some of what, what started the kind of trend of all of a sudden we had these all these followers and all this engagement and, and all of these comments were things that I did somewhat tongue in cheek. Partially because we had been stuck at like sixteen hundred followers for a year, year and a half. And the break point was I had one company running it and then I said, well, I, I want to bring it in house. Just gonna find somebody, hire somebody, run it in house. And so we actually technically run it in house, although she now has her own company that she runs for social media. She does a ton of engagement, right? So I, I know from from one aspect, 
there's this mix of engagement. You got to get in with your audience. You you have to go on and, and view and like and, and do all those different things, right? All those things that I don't necessarily have time to do, right? Which is why we put the money into someone who actually goes and does that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it started with, I think it was, it was one of two. I can't remember which one was first, but we did a, you should see your girlfriend video, which, you know, it came from a real case. I mean, I got a lot of people who were like, you're a scumbag. I, it generated from a real case that I had. And it's, it's an amazing thing. I see a lot of relationships break up because of car accidents, right? Just for whatever reason, it's enough of a stressor that people go, okay, we're going to go our separate ways. And that's what had happened. And, and that's where that one came from. But the next, that was extremely tongue-in-cheek. My six years in law enforcement, I spent working drugs, right? I worked in high drug areas, found a lot of drugs. And, and I, I could tell you the statute backwards and forwards. You know, Well, it's actually in Florida, at least. It's not actually illegal to use drugs because in Florida, it's only illegal to physically possess it. So if you could find some way to, and this was the kind of the long version of it, if you could find some way to use a drug without possessing it, it actually wouldn't be illegal, right? So it was just kind of like catching lightning in a bottle where all of a sudden you got those comments and now we got the spike of people being engaged and interested and, and now take that plus the engagement and it just grew and grew and grew from there. I've had several successful attorneys on the pod talk about their Instagram strategy. I can't think of one that was just like, we just give value and tell them what to do after a car accident. <laughs> it, it's always something like how to argue like a lawyer, right? That was Jefferson Fisher. Yours is, should you sue your girlfriend after a car accident? Do you think it, is it being different? Is it the humor? Is it the controversy? What do you, what do you think goes into this? You know, I think it's a combination of a, a lot of things, right? I, I think some of it comes down to the person. And look, we do most of those videos in one take and we don't have a script. So Ashley will come in and she'll go, here's the topics that, that I found. And I'll go, okay, here's the ones that I found. We will literally just go off of, should you sue your girlfriend? Or can you sue your girlfriend, right? That's it. Like that is, that is the starting point. There's literally no script after that. I come up with it about 10 seconds before she hits record. I think of it in my head. And the first time it's uttered is right there on video. So some of it, some of it's the person. And, and can you be engaging? I mean, if I were to just sit here and in every single video go, you should sue your girlfriend because you can, or it's not illegal in Florida to use drugs, right? no one would care. It, it, it wouldn't matter how controversial it is, right? So there is some aspect of how fun can you make it? And that's, I mean, social media is entertainment value, but that's, that's kind of where I see it is that can you provide some entertainment along with, and, and I get more and more comments on when I see people out that, Hey, that's really good advice. That's really usable, especially the gun stuff. You know, people, people apparently in Florida like their guns. It generally generates a lot of comments and feedback and a little less controversial, I think, than some of the drug and alcohol ones. Interesting. And then the time commitment and, and the costs, right? So you mentioned TV, you're talking 30K a month, 60K in a two-month period, and that's not even saturating. It's not enough, right? And an OTT is kind of similar from my experience. And then you've got social, right? Everyone talks about social's free, and I'm doing air quotes, because you also have a lot of time involved in it. And if you have a team, then you got your team. So talk to me about, do you have a cadence where Maybe once a, once a week you come in and shoot these or, or tell me a little bit about that, a little behind the scenes. I know people could look at our Instagram and go, well, you had 1,600 and then almost seemingly overnight you have 100 and 800 and 9,000, whatever it is. And uh, we bought zero 
of those. I, I know there's places that you can actually go buy followers. We legitimately bought zero. And right now, for the last couple of months, I've run really minimal, minimal ads on social media. Part, part of it's November, December are not a good time to run ads. And we actually signed more cases in December than any other month this past December. So I said, well, we're going to we're gonna take a break because you know, we got to take care of some other things. So we're going to pause some of that. And that's the beauty part, right? You can jump in, jump out, and there's not really a ramp up. But you know, as far as cost goes, I mean, yeah, the ad spend can be can be minimal. Like the, the ad spend is definitely far less than OTT. I mean, if I took the same OTT budget, we would saturate all of social media. Uh, YouTube's a little bit more expensive than than Instagram. TikTok's, uh, I think, the cheapest. But you know, that there is a time commitment. We'll we'll generally do two weeks worth of videos in about an hour, hour, hour and a half. Wow. At least in terms of shooting it. Now, my social media manager comes in and, and she'll shoot the videos and then she edits them. I would imagine there's uh, you know probably a few hours of editing because we try to shoot it all in one take. We kind of cut down on the editing. And, and I was on TV for a little while. And even though it was a tape show, I always treated it as live. I kind of got into that mentality. We're going to get it right. We're going to get it right the first time. And if, if something messes up, you're just going to roll with it because the only person that knows that you messed up with exactly what you were going to say is you. You know, I, I think we cut down on some of the time. And then the cost for her, you know, is in the big scheme of things, minimal, less than what I was paying for OTT. Great. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So you batch it, you get together, you have the editing, you got, you got the team helping you. We mentioned earlier, you got people to get upset and people say things. And you have your community management aspects. So on one side of the coin, you need the comments, the likes, and the in the engagement, the content to drive up your visibility in the feeds. But on the other side of the coin, you got like just sometimes it's just mean remarks and all this stuff. And on I know on Facebook you can block these individuals. You can what's the balance? Do you just let them all roll and just let them go, or do you do you occasionally block some some haters? Like how do you make that decision? It's like this. I keep very minimal notifications on on my phone, right? Just for everything. At one point, I, I turned the notifications on for comments for whatever reason. I may have changed the setting and I did it by accident. Comment after comment after comment. You know, as much as I go, it doesn't bother me. Every time you get an alert on your phone, you go to pick it up and it's, you're a scumbag, you're this, you're that. I got to a point and I had, I had called Ashley and I was like, I, I can't do this. We, we got to do something different. I can't keep doing these controversial things. And I, I actually may have asked her to take it down. <laughs> she didn't, but, which was good, right? I turned the notifications off. Now, every once in a while, I'll look to see what the comments say. And you know, I think because it's on my time and it's when I deem that I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at some of them and it's not this constant bombardment, I can do it. And what I'll do is I could care less about the ones that are, you know, you're this, you're that, lawyers are trash, whatever. And if I see one that's actually, you know, makes sense, I'll respond back. I, I had a, another PI lawyer in Tampa trying to tell me I was wrong about something in the comments. I'm like, number one, really? You want to get on this back and forth? And number two, yeah, I know the case law on this one. So you're not really all that right. <laughs> that's fun. I, I'm sure your your loyal followers appreciate that too. And you go back to back. That's so exciting. You, you found your channel that you're just crushing it on. You're, you're doing really well on social and, and you've, you've had these experiences. And, and I imagine too, if you wanted to go back to TV in the future or OTT, now you, you have the experience where you could go plow into it and you know what it would take because you, you've spent the money and you've invested there. Where can individuals go to connect with you and, and, and what's next? 
on all of our socials, it's at the law father. So it's at the law father, Tampa for Instagram at the law father for everything else. What, what I see as the next step really is a lot more on YouTube, really gotten, Insta, gotten reels down, gotten TikTok down without having to do any of the stupid TikTok dances. YouTube uh, shorts is probably our next step. Yeah, you know, I have a podcast as well as law father podcast and try, try to jo- dive into legal topics, sometimes sports topics. And I run those on live, like TikTok live, Instagram live. And then it's on every place where you can find podcasts, that type of thing. So that I think is the next step is expanding the YouTube aspect and expanding the podcast and getting it out there more. Thanks so much to William Frankie, managing partner at Frankie Law for everything he shared today. Let's get through the key takeaways. It's time for the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, traditional marketing channels are a great way to target specific audience, but the barrier to entry is extremely high in saturated markets. Evaluate your budget and your position. You may see a bigger ROI when direct marketing to potential clients over social. But to me, it's the social media, it's the website presence, it's all of those pieces that reside on being in somebody's phone. This is my model, this is working for me. Point number two, to see success on social media, you need to have an angle to get attention. Stiffly reading the law probably won't get you the engagement. Successful accounts provide value and are entertaining. Every attorney we've spoken to who has seen success on social has a thing. They invite you into their kitchen for a casual coffee and chat about employment rights, or they casually explain how to argue like a lawyer in their car. William found success in stirring the pot and getting a little controversial. Whatever you do, create interesting content and views will come to you. I know people could look at our Instagram and go, well, you had 1,600 and then almost seemingly overnight you have 9,000, whatever it is. We legitimately bought zero. And and right now, for the last couple months, I've run really minimal, minimal ads. And pinpoint number three, do it in one take. No matter how robust your budget, the more time you spend recording, the less time you're spending on other areas of your business. William batches content and treats each social post like a live TV show. I was on TV for a little while, right? And it was, I and even though it was a tape show, I always treated it as live. So I kind of got into that mentality. We're going to get it right. We're going to get it right the first time. And if if something messes up, you're just going to roll with it because the only person that knows that you messed up with exactly what you were going to say is you. I'm Chris Stryer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. If you made it this far, it's time to pay the tax. No, I'm not talking about taking your cash like Big G. I'm asking you for a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Leave me a review and I'll forever be grateful. If this is your first episode, welcome and thanks for hanging out. Come back for fresh interviews where you can hear from those making it rain. Now get out there and dominate.